The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Super glad you're here. If you're looking for a spot in Scripture, we're going to land. It's going to be uh, James chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to go ahead and turn there, and uh, we'll jump into James 4 here momentarily. We're in a series called Counting Chickens, and the idea is there's that phrase, don't count your chickens before they hatch, which the general premise of is don't get ahead of yourself with what you're anticipating as if it's a sure thing. And so we'll get into why that's important. We're talking about living in the in-between from the time that you anticipate something to the fulfillment of something. And so we'll get to that, like I said here, in a couple of moments. I've been living on Zoom for the last, gosh, I guess, 10, going on 11 months now. And um, probably many of you have been on Zoom or some sort of video chat um, you know, program or app because that's just kind of the world we live in in this season right now. And I was thinking about how um, some of the funny things that happen on Zoom because people don't realize or they sort of forget that they're gonna be on video or that they're on video. And there's all kinds of examples to embarrassing things people do when the camera's on them and they don't know it too. I remember recently there's a commercial and there's a guy that comes out onto his kind of backyard patio and he's like got no pants on. He's in his underwear and he's adjusting shelves, waiting for a Zoom meeting to begin only to realize the people are actually there in person. And he, think, he looks over at his wife. I thought it was a Zoom and he sees, you know, the other, the, the company they have over. Um, it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, I think most of us have probably used Zoom, like I said, in the last, you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 months. And, um, there's other features on Zoom. I think we all probably have become aware that some of these features include, you know, chat. You know, there, there's a chat section at the bottom where, you know, you can, you can check out, you know, what people are saying or you can, you can chat with certain people privately uh, there. Maybe you just learned that. You can mute. Mute's always a fun one because people forget to unmute themselves. And so they'll be talking, but you can't hear what they're saying. Hopefully that's not happening right now. So I hope you can hear me. But um, I was thinking you could turn off video and just put on like your, your glamour shots, headshot from when you tried to become somebody famous, um, put that on there. That's always a good one. Or change your background. I love some of the Zoom meetings I've been a part of. People love to put like they're part of, you know, they're, they're on the Death Star on Star Wars or they're at the beach or they're wherever they are. Um, and it kind of shows a little bit of their personality. Or um, you can put your name at the bottom of the screen and some people think they're smart because they put some, you know, funny phrase there or, you know, the president or they put some other other, you know, idea of who they are at the bottom of the screen. But one of the features on Zoom is, is called the waiting room. And I love how on the waiting room, there, there's this, you know, kind of wait here till the, the, the host lets you in. And what do you do in the waiting room? You, you, you sit there. And you wait and, and you know, the host might forget that you're trying to be let in. And so you're just sitting and wondering when are they going to notice. And so you start scrolling Facebook or you start looking off into the distance or you walk away and do something and come back or you start picking your nose only to be let in the room and you didn't realize you were being let in the room or whatever it might be. But there's the waiting room. There's nothing to do. Um, but Zoom isn't the first place that you and I are familiar with the idea of a waiting room. I think of when you go to the dentist, you enter the waiting room and you hear somebody screaming bloody murder at the drill going on in the background and you can't wait until it's your turn. So you're waiting for that time when you get to have your face mangled. You think of a car dealership. And there's a waiting room at the car dealership and there's different types of rooms. There's the service waiting room. There's the buying a new car waiting room. And then the, you know, the, the guy you're working with or the gal you're working 
working with is going to go talk to the manager about getting you a better price for that car you've been wanting. So there's that waiting room. There's you know, the waiting room of dread, which I would say is the worst waiting room, and that's the hospital waiting room. There's a certain room set aside. Sometimes it's called the chapel, but if a family's going through something very difficult, there's been serious injury or disease or an ailment or a real problem, a family is sent to a waiting room for the doctor to show up or a chaplain to show up. It's the worst kind of waiting room. And then, of course, on the other side of it, there's the best kind of waiting room. And to me, the best kind of waiting room is at the airport. It's called the VIP lounge. It's, it's some people have to go sit at the terminal and wait in those uncomfortable chairs where there's the news networks on and planes flying out. But there's also the VIP lounge. And depending on the airline that you're flying, there's waiting rooms called the Premier Club or the Sky Club or, you know, the Admiral's Lounge. And there's big, comfy chairs and there's big flats screens and some of them are personal so you can watch whatever you want and there's way faster wi-fi and there's a concierge that will get you snacks or have your clothes ironed or there's there's nap rooms in, in certain you know lounges for these individuals but these are the the amazing waiting rooms where you get to enjoy the quiet and get comfortable and rest before you have to get on your next first class flight which has got to be so difficult for certain people so my heart goes out to you and you're sitting here going, what does this have to do with Jesus? What are we talking about today that this conversation matters? And the reason is this. In a series where we're talking about counting chickens, it's an absurd kind of phrase, I guess, for a series, but this whole conversation is essentially about the waiting room. Like I said, there's, there's something you and I anticipate we look forward to in the future, and then there's the fulfillment of that thing, but there's the time in between. And the time in between is essentially that very thing. It's the waiting room. How we handle the waiting room of life matters a great deal. And, and so when you think about it, the crime of the waiting room is that it's just time wasted. It's, it's you and I viewing that period in between as just time to waste, to sort of do whatever we wanna do. And you could think of it this way, I haven't, Fill in the blank. I haven't fill in the blank. And so nothing's been fulfilled yet. I haven't blank yet. So I think I'll just sit here and twiddle my thumbs. I haven't got married yet. I haven't found that one person yet. I haven't purchased the vehicle yet. I haven't got to the dream job yet. I don't own the house yet. I haven't got to the career yet or the promotion yet or fulfilled the, the dream I have in my heart to go somewhere or travel or become something or, or, or be somebody. I haven't fill in the blank, yet. And so in the in-between matters a great deal. What you do in the in-between matters a great deal. And instead of, and this is the challenge I wanna bring to us today, instead of looking at that time as time on hold, we're just waiting, I wanna look at it a little bit differently because there's a better way to view waiting. And so we're gonna look at James chapter four. I'm gonna read actually a bunch of verses, verses one all the way through verse 10. And it says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, verse three, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. He's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34. Submit, verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus, I want to stop and pray for your spirit to do a work in our hearts, in our lives, that we're not sitting back hearing this going, oh, that's funny, that's entertaining, that's insightful, but instead we're really looking at scripture and wondering how my life filters through the lens of how I'm living out my faith. God help us because we all need it in the in-between. In Jesus' name, amen. James jumps in right here in a conversation about the issue of quarrels and fights among believers in Christ. And he says what's causing those are the selfish desires within the individual. It's that idea of there's something we anticipate being fulfilled and the actual fulfillment of that thing. Now, he's gonna warn you that some of those things that you and I look forward to or that we anticipate are not the right things. But he also is gonna take some time here to talk about the in-between. He says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? The anticipation for something that maybe should or maybe should not be there. And then he goes on to verse two and says, you desire, but you do not have. That's the in-between. You, you, you have anticipation for something, but you don't have it yet. And then he brings up something incredibly drastic, incredibly extreme. He says, so you kill. You literally are creating an environment within your own heart that there, there's, there's this anger, there's this jealousy, there's this rage in you that wants the person who sort of has what you want or, or you know, is challenging you about what you want, you, you feel this anger towards them in a way that you want them to be squashed. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It's this issue of within you know, the, the time from anticipating to fulfillment, something going wrong in your heart, something going wrong within you that creates these emotions, that creates this hatred, this jealousy, this coveting. Coveting is being so upset and, 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 and envious about what someone else has that you can't celebrate the fact that they get to enjoy it. Is it possible you felt that way? Is it possible you look at your older brother or sister or younger brother and sister and they've gotten farther than you in life, however you view it, or your neighbor or somebody you sort of compare yourself to that's become something and go, wow, they're only X years old and I'm older than that and I should be further along and man, and, and it becomes this jealousy issue instead of celebrating who they've become. You become jealous about what they have where they've arrived and where you're not. He goes on in verse three, he says, sorry, the end of verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. James is, is saying that in the midst of, of, of what we want, we don't even bring it to prayer. We won't even make it a point of prayer. And sometimes it's specifically because what's there shouldn't be there. 
We know that if we open our hearts to, to the spirit of God, God's gonna go get that out of there. That, that, that's filthy, that's sinful, that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not my plan for your life. That will lead you down a path that won't be good. And so James literally says, in your heart and in my heart, we don't even bring it up to God because we know he's gonna say, get, get rid of that, lay that down, set that at the foot of the cross, that's not gonna help you fulfill my plan for your life. He says, you don't even ask God. And then he challenges it. He says, but if you do, look at, look at verse three. He says, when you do, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And he basically says, the direction you want to go has everything to do with you, has everything to do with what you're holding on to, has everything to do with this selfishness inside of you that's all about me, myself, and I, and where I'm going, and what I want, and what I believe about it, and how I'm going to get there. So you pray, and the Spirit of God would say, don't go that direction, and yet you're going, I am going that direction. You, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And he says, you, you adulterous people, and it's meant to be a stern rebuke. Adultery is a, is a grave sin, is a terrible thing. He says, you adulterous people. He equates the idea of you going your way, wanting what you want so badly that you refuse to let go. He says, that's adultery towards God. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God, is enmity, is angst, is a separation because of sin between you and, and God? So don't you understand it's a system that doesn't work? Coveting, hating, living in unforgiveness, holding on to those things you want so badly you refuse to let go. That's the world system. We see it all the time. I'm gonna force my way. I'm gonna get what I want. Come, you know, hell or high water, I'm going that direction. Nothing's gonna stop me. James says that there's something in our hearts that makes it that you and I are enemies of God when that's the case. And he says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, the system, the want that refuse to let go becomes an enemy of God. And then he, he, he brings it back to, that's the tension. And then he brings it back to in verse five, don't you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You go, what does that have to do with the conversation? He's reminding us, you have a spirit inside of you that's connected to the Holy Spirit. And it's a jealous spirit. It's a spirit that is saying, I don't want you to get away with going your own way. It's why he follows it up with verse six, but he gives us more grace. In other words, in the midst of an attitude that says you and I are enemies of God because we won't let go of what it is that I want me, myself, and I in my way that I won't let go. He says, listen, you've got a spirit inside of you that I'm not letting you get away with it without feeling the sting of conviction, without knowing that I'm extending grace. Come on, don't go that way. It's that reminder, and it's a reminder, it's that reminder in all of us that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit isn't gonna force his way. He's not gonna demand, he's not gonna make you not be able to go the direction you want to go. James is literally saying, 
The Holy Spirit, being a gentleman, will remind you and you won't be able to get away from the reminder, but he'll let you go that way if that's what you really, really, really want. And then he quotes Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. And then he brings up the solution. Submit yourselves then to God. In the midst of this world where, where there's anticipation about the dreams and hopes and visions and future and things that are out there, submit. For, for the 20, almost 29 years now of following Jesus that I've been a part of, there's something in me that's always saying, God, I don't want what I want, I want what you want. And there are plenty of times where I've prayed this prayer, God, work in my life. And there's times where I'm afraid to pray that prayer because I'm afraid of what God's gonna reveal to me. And I don't wanna necessarily let go of some of those things that I want. Nevertheless, in 29 years, over and over and over, God, I surrender to you. If you want this for me, then you open the door. If you wanna fulfill that thing in my heart, then you take care of it. I've said before that many times in my life, I look at my life as like, here, here's straight ahead and here's what I'm headed towards and there's shelves on the side and those are some of the desires I have. Some of the things I dream about, some of the hopes I have for the future. Even as I think about the Grove Church and where we're going and you know, expansion of facility, planning churches, making a difference throughout our county. Been recently con dreaming back up some of the, the conversations I've had in the past about, about youth and young people and, and, and a center for young people to go and, and, and find tutoring and encouragement and, and, and food and just hang out safe places for them to be rather than going home and being alone or heading out to different places in the community where bad things are going on. Dreams I have, but those are all on shelves in my mind. And I feel like, God, whatever you have in front of me, that's what I wanna pursue. And if you wanna bring any, of, any one of these to front and center, then do that. I wanna follow you with all of my heart. James says in verse seven, submit to God. And then he says this, resist the devil. Again, there are things that you and I think about. Here we are anticipating in the future. And some of those things are awesome things, great things, wonderful things. But some of those things are not good things. And when you know through the Holy Spirit that he talked about in verse five and six, when you know that thing is not a good thing, those are those things is, is, you know, submit to God, but resist the devil. Lord, I lay this thing down in front of you that it's in my heart that shouldn't be there. Lord, I lay this temptation. I lay that anger, that unforgiveness. I lay that, that lust. I, I, I lay whatever it is before you that God, you would deal with that because I don't want it because I know you don't want it for me. It says resist the devil and he will flee. And then it's the reminder, come near to God and he will come near to you. And, and again, he brings up the tension of it. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. And it's meant to be the tension. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let me go through these relatively quickly here. But when you go back to this idea that this invitation come near, he's saying, come with an honest heart. Come with that sense of humility. In the midst of those things in your heart that you want and the fulfillment of those things, the invitation is there. God's grace is enough. If you feel like you've been too bad, if you've gone too far, if, you, if you've tripped over yourself and walked right into that sin, you knew you shouldn't have. God's grace is there. And the invitation from the half brother of Jesus, James, the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, James, says, come on, come near to God. Deal with the issue of sin. Deal with the issue 
of rebellion. Let, let, let God move in your heart in a way that doesn't make it any more hard, any harder than it is, but actually softens it through the Holy Spirit. Deal with the sin. And again, it, it's, it's extreme phrases, but he says grieve and mourn and wail. When was the last time you were so broken over your rebellion that it brought you to tears? That you literally felt like you couldn't function any longer until you stopped and dealt with what was going on that shouldn't have happened. A step you took you shouldn't have taken. A direction you went you shouldn't have gone. A way that you, you moved forward and you knew God was saying don't do it and you did it anyway. God's grace is there. But when was the last time you felt a real sense of brokenness over the sin in your heart? See, in the midst of this whole conversation, it's easy to look at the time from what we anticipate to the fulfillment of what we want as time in the waiting, where we just do whatever we do. We just kind of waste our time, and you're wondering, where is God, and what is he doing? But James is saying there's something going on you've got to be aware of. There's a process from the time you have a dream or anticipate something to the fulfillment of whatever that is. There's a process happening. Are you even aware of it? Do you see that you're becoming something? The warning from James is be careful in the waiting that you don't become someone ugly, that you're full of covetousness, that you're full of envy, that you're full of jealousy, that you're full of unforgiveness, that you're full of things that are holding you back from actually getting to the fulfillment. The solution to the problem is in verses 6 and 7 and 10. He shows favor to the humble. Submit to God. Humble yourself before the Lord. The simple truth to the conversation is this. Waiting isn't stopping. It's submitting. See, in the waiting between what we want and dream about and the fulfillment of those things, it's not stopping. It's not in a holding pattern. It's not going around and around and around the mountain. It's God wanting to shape us, wanting to, to teach us, wanting those lessons in our lives to become solidified, making us humble people, carving us into that individual God wants us to become. See, you and I have seen way too many times, and, and maybe you're one of those people, that, that you, you, you've, you've let your, your gifts get ahead of your character. And we see it all the time. Somebody who's unbelievably charismatic, somebody who's unbelievably talented, somebody who's unbelievably gifted at certain things, and, and people flock, and, and people follow, and, and people want to know who are they, and how do I get around them, how do I do what they did? Wow, look at how amazing they are, only to see those individuals at a certain point crash and burn. And the concern is this, sometimes what happens is in the waiting, they've become a monster. In the waiting, they've tried to hide sin. In the waiting, they haven't dealt with what's going on in their hearts. And so they lack a level of humility that in the midst of the whole world following, the whole world marveling, the whole world thinking, how do I get to that place? It's just a matter of time before the house of cards falls. See, James warning to any of us, you want to get to where God wants you to get to? Don't think for a second that in the waiting you're stopping. You're not stopping, you're submitting. In the midst of submission, there's a couple of things I think are worth mentioning. Number one, making sure that there is humility in us. And it starts with confession. God, there's things I dream about and hope for. There's things I look forward to, but there's also things in my heart that are not good. 
It's confession. God, here's what's going on. Here's what's there. Here's what doesn't gel with who you are. Here's what the Holy Spirit is reminding me of in the midst of the process of getting to that place. God, there's sin in my life. Confession is healthy, but it also requires humility. I don't have it all together. I'm not the go-getter who's gonna make it happen apart from what God would have in my life. Confession is good for the soul. The problem is we bury our soul in order to get where we wanna go. Wasn't it Jesus that said in red letters in my Bible, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Confession, I repent. Reflection, simply, and again, I'm, I'm kind of zipping through this, but reflection. What's going on in my heart in the waiting? Here I am, and, 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 and back when I was 18 years old, and I, man, I, first of all, I wanted to be an actor and go do something and become somebody and all that, but as I gave my life to Christ and something began to change, even still there was in my heart, man, I want to be an evangelist, I want to travel the world, I want to do missions, I want to write books, I want to be a pastor, I want to do all these things. In the midst of, from the time 18 to now I'm an old man at 45 with a bunch of gray hair. At 45, even still remembering back to that time, realizing there was a process. Reflecting on who am I becoming? What's going on in my heart? Who are those people I need to surround myself with that will challenge me, that will bring accountability to my life, that will help me get to where I need to be in character, not just in position in my life? Am I becoming more cynical, more negative, more selfish? God, help me weed out the little seeds so that those things don't take root. Around Christmas time, I was taking a walk and um, I do that kind of often. I love to take walks and just process and think and pray. And as I was doing it right around Christmas time, I was thinking about, I've really become a negative person recently. There's so much pessimism in my head. And, and I began to realize that and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I put it out there just recently, man, I really need to anchor myself back to Philippians 4.8 again. Where, where, where Paul says to the church, the Philippian church, whatsoever things are true, noble, right, there's a few other words I'm going to forget all of a sudden, darn it. Um, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. And I began to repent. God, forgive me. Where I'm becoming cynical, where I'm focusing on so much negative, where in the midst of all that we hear in our world, we're given to it so much that we become sour and our souls begin to shrivel. I'm on a walk back at Christmas time, realizing my soul is beginning to shrivel and repenting. God, forgive me, help me. Reflecting on, I don't want to be that person. I'm somebody who's called to carry the light. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus that believes there's always reason for hope. Reflection. Where is the virtue and what does it look like to nurture that in my life? And since I'm not just waiting, how am I growing and maturing in Christ? And then finally, trusting. How do I submit? Trusting that in the waiting, God's taken me through a process and he's big enough to fulfill what he has for me. I'm gonna get a little cheesy here as I end, but way back when I was a kid, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I fell in love with a gal named Heather. And Heather didn't really wanna be with me maybe so much, and she's probably listening to this right now, so you're gonna hear it in the comments on, on the you know, online platform here in a moment. But um, I was heartbroken. And I remember going into my youth pastor's office, literally just about 50 yards directly that way, years ago. And my youth pastor sat with me and put his arm around me and I was weeping tears, I was pitiful. But man, I was brokenhearted over her and I just, I wanted to, to be with her. And my youth pastor told me this. 
God's will for your life cannot be ruined by anybody but yourself. But as it is, if you lean in and trust him, you will get his will for your life. And I wanna encourage you with that as well. That in the midst of this time between what you anticipate and the fulfillment of what you anticipate, you're going through a process, but at the end of the day, it takes that humility to live in confession, to deal with the idea of reflection, who am I becoming and what's going on in my life, and trusting, God, I believe you want your will for my life even more than I do. And so I surrender to you, believing I'm going to get there. And while I may not always see how it works, I'm trusting you will take care of the details. Let me go back to the main point. I'm going to pray. Waiting isn't stopping. Waiting is submitting. Jesus, help us live in submission to you. God, it's not the easy route. I said before in part one of this series, we have this want in us to take charge of the situation. And that as we wait, it's a difficult period. And yet, God, I pray that our soul in connection with your Holy Spirit would would realize we're going through a process. God, help us live humbly, submitted to you, confessing, reflecting, and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.